Episode 97 of the Sleeper in the Bust podcast brought to you by Fangraphs. I'm your host, Jason Collette, joined again today by Eno Saris. What's going on, man? I'm losing it, man. I'm uh, getting ready to go to Arizona for AL Labor this week. Oh, yeah, and, that's uh, right. I've got, uh, I, and then my wife asked me for, uh, to get our tax, my tax information together this morning. Oh, so. man, you are losing it. <laughs> I, it's like it's like I'm at that point where I've lost it so so much that I can't do anything. Like I'm just like totally overwhelmed by all the stuff I have to do. So it's really bad right now. But uh, maybe the podcast will uh, will kick me in gear. Maybe it'll help you prepare for AL labor because we are discussing one of the American League teams today uh, in the Royals, and we also have the Colorado Rockies to discuss some housekeeping before we get into things. We do have some other news items before we get into those teams that we're going to talk about today. Do want to thank you guys that have gone into iTunes and have ranked the podcast at one point over the weekend. We were the fourth most popular podcast in the professional section. We were ahead of some NFL podcasts and that's during the week of the combines. So that's pretty darn cool. So thanks for doing that. Somebody left a review and said my chair was too noisy and my keyboard was too noisy. And I completely agree. I have replaced the chair. I have a stationary chair, no more of the, of the squeaky, rocky chair. I have a new keyboard coming today, a softer uh, keyboard, so you won't hear the clickety-clack so much. You may hear it in this wow, one. you're so responsive. I am resp- I'm like that. I'm customer-focused. So I, I did that. Uh, mention the iTunes rating, so thanks for doing that. If you haven't done that, please do. We have incorporated a couple of you guys had some questions in the comment section of the last podcast, and we are going to address those today before we get into the teams. Again, the, the Rockies and the Royals. And you know, note about labor that is this week. And if you're a Sirius XM fa- uh, subscriber on the Fantasy Channel, which is 87 on Sirius, and I forgot what it is on uh, 87 on uh, XM. I forgot what it is on Sirius. They cover both of those drafts live. And I believe it's Kyle L. Frank, and it'll be a rotating host of uh, Jeff Erickson and Ray Flowers will be doing uh, the other part of the hosting on that. But if you want to listen to that draft live, you'll have the opportunity to do that. I believe RT Sports is the group that hosts it. They'll have a live draft board. So if you want to look for that, look for a tweet from Eno uh, or Steve Gardner from USA Today, who is the commissioner of all these leagues. It's his job to run these. And Labor's, Labor's the original one. I mean, I, I'm in Tout Wars, but Labor's older. Labor's been around. It got its name from Keith Oberman. He was in the league the first year. Uh, it's been there for quite some time. And the cool thing about it is it's not so secretive now. It used to be they held all the results until the Leviathan hit. And, and that was middle of March. And that the Baseball Weekly, rest in peace, uh, would come out and have all the results. And everybody would run to go get that. Now, we did the mix labor two weeks ago. We had a live draft board. People could see our, we were allowed to tweet our picks. People could see it. And that's cool. I'm I'm bummed that I'm not going to be at Arizona because it, it's a great group of people out there. I enjoyed my time. I was out there two years ago. Couldn't make it last year and did the mixed one this year. Uh, so I'm a little jealous of you, man. Yeah, well, I think they only invited me because I, I bring uh, a bunch of West Coast beers for the after party. But um, the uh, the I, I got 10th last year. I got to do better this year. Um, and for me, you know, even though uh, – the quality of the leagues I've been in has, has just uh, gradually gotten better and better, and, and it's gotten more and more difficult uh, to place and to win. Uh, Labor was the first time that I got into an auction and was like, holy crap, we're all working with the same values. Pretty like, much. It was like we were all sliver, like there were little slivers here or there, a dollar there, two dollars there. I mean, it was it was right on, and I was, and immediately I was scared. <laughs> there was, I mean, that's one of the, the benefits of being in tout is there are some similar players in these leagues. You know, Larry Schechter, who's, who wins tout seemingly every year, is in both, uh, and other Chris Liss is in him, Jeff is in him, and everything. So once you see what I've done over the last couple of years, is I'll take those labored auction values and I'll throw them into the notes that I bring to tout. And I'll track plus or minus, you know, how much how much a guy went for in the draft. And so I at least know it's it's the advantage of being in tout. You at least have a ballpark of what's going to happen. Now, this year it's different because this year tout wars choosing on base percentage 
instead of batting average. And labor still sticks with batting average. So that little advantage of knowing what, where guys are going to be, that's out the door. And that kind of leads into our first point we wanted to talk about here for a, a minute or two. One of you guys asked about how do you deal with league inflation and league quirks when you get to a draft? Sometimes, again, going for OBP uh, instead of batting average, using quality starts instead of wins, 13-team mixed leagues, you know, odd number of leagues that don't match public, the public or published dollar values for guys. How do you address that? Let's say somebody were to invite you and say, you know, I have a keeper league. It's 14-team mix, six by six with on base and holds. And they say the drafts, the drafts this weekend. Can you do it? Let's assume that labor, you don't have labor. You're free this weekend. You have no beer, anything. Somebody wants you to draft. How would you prepare for that kind of draft? Um, you know, I, mostly we, uh, we, we either use standard gained, uh, standard points gained, um, or replacement level sort of calculators, these, um, Excel sheets that, that, that take your projections and take your numbers and calculate the, the player's values. Um, we hope to have a tool, uh, for that, um, soon that'll help you just calculate, um, given, you know, your different, um, uh, your different, uh, settings that you, uh, in your, in your league. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, um, I think the best way to do it is, is to still take, um, a sort of five by five t- take some sort of values that are close to, to your league and then identify sleepers, identify guys that are, that are, um, that are different from your values. So basically go sort fan graphs for walk rate. Uh, sort fan graphs for on base percentage uh, in the projections because you can do that. And then identify guys that might have a low batting average but a high on base percentage um, and, and make your Adam Dunn list, um, for example. Um, so I think that's one way to deal with your, your, your specific league quirks if you don't um, either have the wherewithal or, or, the, uh, or a calculator on hand. So that's, that's one way to do it. In terms of like league inflation and stuff, that's something that you're just going to learn over time. I think, you know, um, Chad Young tried to do league inflation for auto new and try to do, uh, auction values for auto new mm-hmm. with, with league inflation in. And this year he gave up and took them out because they were nonsensical. He thought, he thought they were based on too few leagues. Um, and they, you know, they, they weren't a real good, um, guidepost for people. So, um, and, you know, I had I took a question at this at first pitch here in San Francisco about this this weekend where, you know, someone asked, should I keep cargo at 50? And and we all were like, what? And then he said, well, it's, you know, this many keepers. And so there's inflation. And so he would actually go for 50 in the in the auction. That's the sort of thing you need to figure out on your own. It's really hard for, for people like us to just tell you. Um, oh yeah, then you got to keep cargo at 50, you know? It really is. So, I mean, when I look at it, I'll be honest, I cheat. And this, I spend money on this. When you look at, if you want, if you're really good at Excel, I have a friend who's an Excel genius. He get, he has his own sheet. He pulls in his values, and he's able, <clears throat> pardon me, and he's able to get adjusted inflation at pick by pick through an auction. Me, I spend money. You can look at RotoWire's got a tool that does it. They've got a draft tool. There's something out there called RotoLab. You mentioned uh, the first pitch forums. The RotoLab's got an official partnership with Baseball HQ, and you can only use their projections, but you can edit those. You can't bring in anybody else's, but you can at least edit those. But both of those tools help you calculate inflation within a draft. And what I've found, especially if you're in a new league, let's say you're in a league that goes from uh, drafting to auction in the first year. I love getting like three of the first six players because nobody calculates for infl- or people will either overspend or in the first year they don't calculate for inflation and all of a sudden you're buying let's say let's say cargo uh, let's say he's thirty on in a standard twelve team league and with inflation you factor it out he's worth thirty eight well you get to thirty two and all of a sudden you get crickets you're like everybody's like wow you overpaid for him no you got a bargain. Because people didn't calculate. But if you are if you don't have the time, and honestly, when you get to this point of the year, here we are at the end of February, if you haven't started trying to calculate inflation, you're probably too late. So go out and spend the money if you can get those tools. Uh, but the Rotolabs has been out there for a long time. The tool from Rotowire, I've used them both. They're both very good, and they give you that basis. But the thing is you have to be able to – just knowing what your inflation is at the start of the draft – that information is as current as the recent pick. So as that stuff starts going, you need to track that. So even if you don't 
I know there's some leagues that you can't bring a laptop to. So let's say you get inflation, you get it calculated, and you print out your spreadsheet, and you bring it with you to the draft. Then you just go over on the side, start calculating, plus one, minus two, plus two, minus three, and just track where they are, where the final value is against what you have in your paper, and that way you know where the money's going. But it's it's critical to watch that. Otherwise, you get to be that guy that gets to the, in the middle part of the draft, and all of a sudden you're the high-money guy on the board, and you notice all the talent's out the door. Now you've got to start overpaying for guys to, to fill out your roster, and that's not where you want to be. You need to keep make sure – the dollars and the talent are staying on an even basis. Once you start seeing radical swings, it's, it's either time to jump in or it's time to stay back and let everybody else waste their money. Uh, other thing was the projection system utilization. Somebody asked about difference between Steamer and, and Pakoda from Baseball Prospectus. My personal feelings on this, I like to look at all of it. And, and I, I saw our friend Corey Schwartz over at the Fantasy 411 and MLB posted the composite projections. What Corey does, because he's got all this industry pull with his job, he gets projection systems from like 15 different people, gets a composite of those, averages them out, and then has those all in a spreadsheet, including some mixed and AL and only dollar values. It's a really cool tool. It's free. It's a great thing that he does, and it's up there on their blog. I like looking at those because sometimes they can remove some noise. I believe it was either the last show or two shows ago we were kind of laughing at how – the fan graphs we used to post the Bill James projections and how like lofty they were compared to everybody else. I believe the first year that the Bill James projections were run, Matt Wieters was projected to hit 38 home runs or something like that. Uh, so that's why I like looking at a lot of it to kind of remove the, the noise from everything. What are your thoughts on projections? Yeah. Um, I basically, um, I, I'm almost, I'm almost a hand projector, not as much as, as Podhortzer, but what I do, in my preparation for the season, I like to go through every player. And what I basically do is uh, use steamer zips in the fans to create a spectrum for a player. Mm-hmm. And then uh, basically I try to live within that spectrum and pick, uh, pick projections. So I'm not, I'm not just averaging them all out and finding them the exact midpoint. I'm staying within that uh, projection range and picking where I think. And the reason I like that is that it allows me to have favorites and to uh, and to and to sort of pick my sleepers in a in a sort of almost mathematical way because what I'm doing is I'm staying within the range of projections, but I'm saying I believe because all all projections are a range anyway. So basically, what I'm saying is I believe in the upper end of this projection, uh, but I don't want to go all crazy and say. Um, yes, I like Brett Lowry, and uh, this year he's going to hit 290 with 25 homers and 25 steals. Right. That that would be that would that. I mean, I've done that in the past, and part of my maturation, I think, as a fantasy player, has been to say I like Brett Lowry, uh, so I'm going to take the upper end of, of his projections, which is like 281, you know, 16 homers, 13 stolen bases. So you know. That's still me being uh, excited because perhaps I'm taking the fans' projection on that, and sometimes they're they're above and beyond. But it's not you know pie in the sky. It's not like oh he's going to go thirty thirty this year, and and that's great. And I can't you know, and it also keeps me from ever paying for that sort of thing. So um, I think the projection systems provide us a guide. There's a good reason to to average them all out, but there's also a good reason to sort of. Um, use them as a as a guide and maybe pick one in one situation, pick one in another situation. That's not a very mathematical answer because you're you're just like cherry picking from the different projection systems. But I think it makes sense in that all projections are a range and you're just picking a spot in in that range. That's one of the reasons why I like to look at a span of things because you 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 hinted at it a little bit there. If you fall in love with a certain player, you're going to find a set of projections that agree with what you think, and that's the one you're going to go with. Uh, and I'll give you an example for me. My Nelson Cruz love goes back years. I like this guy in 2008 was he, when he was in AAA, not even the 40-man roster for the Rangers. I used to call into sports radio shows in Tampa Bay and yell at the host, the Rays need to go trade for Nelson Cruz. They need a guy that can hit left-handed pitching, and the host was like, who the hell's Nelson Cruz? And late in 2008, there was a, a chat at Baseball America, and one of my friends got in there and said, hey, Nelson Cruz, breakout candidate or quad A player? Jim Callis said, quad A player. And he told me, I'm like, my friend told me, I'm like, whatever. But Nelson Cruz is going to hit 20-20 next year with a 280 batting average. Book it. Nelson Cruz hit 33 <laughs> home runs, stole 20 bases, but hit 260. I was well <laughs> ahead. And in 2009, I was at NFBC in Las Vegas. 
and who was what? Ted Carlson was my partner when we were working together at Fanball. And we get to the point in the draft, and like we're in the we're in the sixth round. I'm like, I want Nelson Cruz. No, no, seventh round. I want Nelson Cruz. No, we get to the eighth <laughs> round. I want Nelson Cruz. And he said, No, but we were we were on the 14th pick, so in the top of the ninth round, because somebody at the table next to us said Nelson Cruz. I'm like, okay, we have to take him now. And we did. Nelson Cruz had that humongous year. Yes, we lost profit because everybody in my draft thought we reached for Nelson Cruz, but I'm like, I'm a believer in this. I wasn't willing to let somebody else enjoy that. And it was the guy next to me at the table came over. He said, yeah, I only took him because you wouldn't stop talking about him. Uh, but that's where he is for projection. So it, in summary, the more you look at, the better. But it should, your own valuation should win out. Don't rely fully on projections to make your own, to make your own calls on players. Yeah, they're, by their nature, they're pessimistic because they're, they're looking at the, the whole uh, range of baseball, which says that players uh, remain the same or get worse as they get older. Um, but within that history of baseball, there are moments when players uh, make adjustments, make changes, finally get a chance uh, at full playing time, uh, move from a hitter's park to a pitcher's park, certain things that sometimes are in the projections, but not, not always in the projections. And sometimes, like, for example, we know that a starter moving to the bullpen gains about a mile and a half on 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 average, right? right. Tommy Hunt moved from the uh, start from the starting rotation to the bullpen and gained four miles an hour. So you know, Wade Davis was along that lines too. Wade Davis was was put, pushing ninety eight as a reliever in two thousand twelve. Was working ninety three, ninety four at the most as a starter in two thousand eleven. And so you know. It's very good to stay within the range of all of baseball history, but it's also good to take chances uh, because, you know, we're not we're not baseball teams. We're 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 guys trying to win our fantasy league. And there's a difference there. Baseball teams have to bet on what happened in baseball all, all across history because they need to be right more often. We need to sometimes get the, the outliers right in order to win. Um, so I think there's a, as long as you use projection systems to rein your enthusiasm in and and not get too excited. I mean, basically the projection system role in your story is the one telling you to wait, you know, wait until the 14th round or whatever, wait till the ninth round, because you have to, because if you had picked him where you wanted him, you might've gotten value, but you wouldn't have gotten all the value you could have gotten. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's get, uh, before we get into the teams, two quick baseball notes, we mentioned Nelson Cruz finally has a home in Baltimore. The, to me, this is the best possible situation for him from a fantasy perspective. I know it sucks to lose six and a half million dollars if you turn down a qualifying offer. I know it sucks not to get the multi-year deal and a free agency, especially when you're 33 years old. But from a fantasy perspective, I don't think you could have asked for anything better as far as a landing spot for him because the ballpark is going to be a nice fit for him. The lineup's going to be a nice fit for him. And I'm now willing – if he had gone to Seattle, I would not have paid $10 for Nelson Cruz in a league. Now that he's going to Baltimore, I'll pay more than that. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I'm going to adjust up uh, the numbers here a little bit. He's actually going to a park that's, um, that's uh, friendlier – um to to his uh power than than the last one which is amazing um i i was sort of surprised by that it's a, it's it's on the order of one or two percent but still uh that's a bit it's way better than going to seattle so um i have him projected right now uh for 261 26 homers uh five stolen bases um i'm gonna bump some of these numbers up a little bit and uh basically ten dollar player in mixed leagues so uh, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when it comes to his projection. Uh, and uh, it's good news for him. Very happy with it. Uh, on the not-so-good news side, Trevor Rosenthal left camp today with some discomfort. The good news, it's in his quadricep, so it's not in his arm. But that may – we don't know how much this is. They just said it, it's being brushed off as minor. Uh, so we'll see if, if he's ready to start the Grapefruit League season here on Friday. But just something to keep an eye on because anytime you hear he closer an injury, that's not a pleasant thing. Yeah, and Mott's still there. And that lovely delivery of his. It's always good times. Um, let's look at the Rockies. Let's stick with injury issues because we learned today that uh, Jules Chachin has shoulder soreness. And the way it's being described, it's a shoulder strain. He's going to be out for at least a week. The MRI revealed inflammation and no structural damage, according to Troy Rank of the Denver Post. 
when we look at this Rockies pitching staff, honestly, who do we feel comfortable with drafting in a mixed league? I, I, I don't think anybody. I mean, I, I, I'm not excited about anybody. And, and I wasn't even excited about Chassin really because, um, you know, he pitches, to, he pitches to contact, tries to get those ground balls, and then he has basically an average ground ball rate, which is not – that's not uh, a good thing really. And, you know, he, he had to give up uh, on the curveball because, as he told me, it doesn't work in, in Colorado. And uh, so he's, you know, basically fastball slider with a, kind of a show-me change, doesn't have the strikeouts doesn't have an elite uh, 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 ground ball rate, has had control issues in the past, and last year kind of broke out with a control improvement. But I don't, I don't see, uh, you know, other times in his past other than the low minors when he really had uh, good control. So um, I didn't really believe in him to, for this year for mixed leagues. Mm-hmm. And uh, a strain is a tear. So uh, something, you know, they say no structural problems or whatever, but, you know, something went wrong. And he is having shoulder soreness and a strain. And to call it a shoulder strain is just saying it's a small tear, um, and that's not good. I don't, I don't ever want to hear the words shoulder uh, with regard to my pitcher. So, you know, Jorge De La Rosa, eh, Juan Nicasio, two-pitch pitcher, used to have velocity. I don't know if he has it anymore. Tyler Chatwood, a lot of velocity. You know, Brett Anderson, you know, is always interesting to me. But that breaking ball. Yeah, it's a nice breaking ball. But if it's a curve then it's a problem. If it's a slurve, I don't know. If it's a slider, you know, good to go. But, um, you know, also, we, you know, you can't project him for more than like 70 innings at this point. So my favorite pitcher uh, on the Rockies this year is probably Eddie Butler. Yes. Love Eddie Butler. I have him in my keeper league. Uh, and there's a good chance that we could see Butler earlier in the season. I think he may be one of the first call-ups when things happen. Because I agree with the pitching staff. I, it, there were a couple of neat values last year. If you're an NL only league, I had Nicasio, I had De La Rosa, and I had Shashin, each of them for $2 or less. And did, did I win my league? No. But I did well at, for going very cheap in my pitching to fill it out. I did rather well in my pitching. It was my hitting that killed me in that league. But that's why I see that. And even if this leaks over to the closing side, because we have Rex Brothers and we have Latroy Hawkins. And we have a, a almost a closer by committee. They may even give that job to Hawkins out of the gate rather than Brothers. It's a frustrating situation because at least Brothers had the upside of the strikeouts and stuff. Yes, he had some walk at, walk rate issues. But still with the strikeouts, there's some value there. Even if they do give the job to Hawkins, if I'm in the NL League, I'm going to go ahead and get get Brothers anyhow because he's going to get he's still going to have value with the strikeouts. I still see him leading his team in saves when it's all said and done. I just don't buy the fact that they're going to sign Hawkins and leave him as the closer all year long. Do you agree with me? Yeah, totally. And if, if Brothers is at all cheaper than, than Hawkins, then, it's, then you know, go with him. And they already, for what it's worth, they're already backing off of it. Uh, the last comment I saw was, uh, well, he's not like the closer every day. <laughs> so I feel like you'll hear a little bit more and more of that. And then, oh, you know... Well, maybe Hawkins will help against lefties, or, or actually, what's what's uh, brothers is a lefty, yes. isn't he? That's a weird one. I think that I think that's what they're trying to stay away from. A lot of managers don't like lefty closers, but you know, once you're once you're you know throwing with gas, and you you've shown that history of a strikeout rate, it's it's gas and strikeout rate the only things that um, I found that are predictive, and and brothers has both of those, and Hawkins has neither of those. So. Yes, I'm I'm in complete agreement with that. It's just frustrating when they when they do that kind of thing. Uh, offensively, let's move over to the offense, and I don't really know where Yay. to go with this guy. Do what? <laughs> Yay, let's definitely talk about their uh, offense. Just, just a, can Coors Field save Justin Morneau? I mean, I'm very pessimistic against this because the Justin Morneau I saw last year looked like he had a slow bat, was having trouble with velocity, didn't get around on pitches that he used to get around. I don't know how much of that is still related to the post uh, the concussion issues that he's been fighting off and on. But he looked almost washed up to me last year. And I was rather surprised when he got a two-year deal out of the Rockies for the money they, they gave him. Do you have any faith in Coors reviving Justin Morneau's fantasy relevance? You know, the funny thing about uh, Coors these days is that it's, it's, it inflates balls in play. Uh, the batting average of the balls in play a little bit more than it inflates home runs yes. at this point. That's because all the extra uh, real estate. 
You can't defend. Yeah, you can't made, defend they, all yeah. that grass. Yeah, they made the park bigger, and now there's dinks and dunks. Um, that might actually help more. No, you say that his his bat sleeve got slower, and yeah, his his swing and strike rate over the last two years is some of his uh, some of his worst numbers. I'm surprised that his strikeout rate hasn't been much worse, uh, considering. I agree that he looked kind of sluggish. I mean, a 17% strikeout rate is still better than league average. Mm-hmm. The power is still better than league average. Um, so, you know, and then you give him the course field boost, he could have a better than average batting average on balls of play, which um, gives him, you know, a chance at a 270 batting average, which he hasn't done in three years. Um, 270 batting average in, you know, 15 to 18 homers is not um, vintage Morneau. Um, but it seems attainable even with some misplaying time due to his old age and uh um, hey, he won't be able to DH brain issues. Won't be able to DH well, much. It, he did have fifty-three extra base hits last year, and frankly that number's a bit more it's a bit higher than I thought it was, uh, off the top of my head. So I, I think you know he could he could have fewer extra base hits next year and still be valuable. Um he could play less often than he did last year and still be valuable. And I think that most of that will come some of the batting. He'll get a batting average boost and that'll help uh, with some of the power regression, if there is any, um, and some of the playing time he misses, which you have to sort of factor in, even though it's surprising. He has 1200 plate appearances over the last two years. Here's the um, thing with me. I would like to see him. I mean, they need to sit him against lefties and he gets too many plate appearances against lefties. We're talking over the last, when you're looking at what he's done against lefties, over the last three seasons, he's hit 206 against lefties with a 520 OPS and a 233 weighted on base average. To me, this is that's the opportune time to give Willem Rosario time at first base. Get him over there, get him off behind the plate so you keep his bat in the lineup. But those numbers against lefties are atrocious. He's hit five home runs in 487 plate appearances with a one to five walk to strikeout rate. Yeah, and I think that's why you see the steamer uh, projected uh, plate appearance total for for on our side is 490, um, and I think that's that's probably part of it. Um, we have Rosario uh, taking away at bats against lefties, just like you say, and uh, that depresses his runs in RBI. Um, so, but you know, even with 490 plate appearances, that steamer projection: 16 homers, 60 runs, 66 RBI, 275 batting average. It's um, you know, it's low end uh it's like a utility bat it's still it's still useful though and i think it's useful in almost all leagues especially if it's a daily league i mean maybe not 10 teamers but in a daily 12 team league where you can slot him in in your utility slot uh against right handers that's uh that's a useful thing and it probably costs you a dollar or or, you know a final round pick unless you're in a league where you know everyone decided that Course Field is going to make him a 25 homer hitter again. Right. In which case, you say, "Well, thanks, and uh, I'll take the next." Game. I'll admit these are the types of players that get me into trouble. I mean, I, like last year, there was not a chance in hell I was going to draft Rola Banyas. I'm like, no, going to Seattle, 40, no, no chance. I don't want anything to do with him. And I remember I had a chance to pick him up as my utility guy in Tout Wars, and I passed on. I'm like, no, no, don't, no. And look what he did. So I, I need to be, you know, less. You know, strict with this and say I, I need. I'll go ahead and do this. But maybe another option for them, if not Rosario, could be Kadire. I mean, they've got Kadire in right field. He's played second base before, and they've got DJ Lemayhew, who's all speed and nothing else really. Maybe Kadire could come back into second. Maybe he can play first because you look at that outfield. It does have several right-handed bat. You've got Culver. You have uh, Brandon Barnes in the mix. You have. You still got Cargos out there. He's going to take all the time in center field. You got Drew Stubbs, who's a really good against lefties. So you're going to see Drew Stubbs getting time out there. You got to find some time for Brandon Barnes because you traded for him. You want to keep him out there. So maybe those two guys are your corner guys with with Cargo in the middle and and Kadir comes in and plays some first base. How do you see that situation playing out? Yeah, I mean, Kadir has basically played uh, 15 to – actually, he played 84 games uh, for the Twins. So he's played he's played like 15 to 30 games at first uh, every year for about five years running. So uh, I do think he'll see some time at first base. And for some of you, he's still eligible at first base. Um, but second base, I think, is a stretch. He had 17 games there in 2011, and he only had two games the two years before. So basically, you know, 17 games in the last five years, uh, I don't think that's – gonna happen i think he's a little bit too old for that plus uh 
you know, the guys who get me in trouble, um, you know, when I first got into fantasy baseball, I was really big into play discipline. And I thought that play discipline was the best way to, to identify sleepers mm-hmm. and identify good prospects coming up. And to some extent, that's still true. The bust rate on prospects goes through the roof if they have really bad strikeout rates and if they have bad walk rates. So in terms of like prospects that'll hit, that's still important. But there's too many people in the major leagues that don't have great play discipline, that strike out too much or do this or do that, or, you know, or don't walk any. Alfonso Soriano. Uh, yeah, there's still those guys that and Brandon Phillips types that, you know, play discipline, unless you're in an on-base percentage league, is not the best way to uh, talk about a 5 by 5 roto. Um, and so the guys who get me in trouble now, you know, I tried to adjust to that. And so I said, oh, a guy like Josh Rutledge, not great play discipline, uh, not great defense, not a great real-life ball player, uh, but has power and speed. And if he ever got that shot, that's, you know, that's who I want. Um, and, and he obviously has way more fantasy upside than DJ LeMahieu. So, because he, if he got in there, he's a legit 280, 15-15, uh, 20-20 type player. So, um, you know, it's all about his defense, I think, in camp. And because DJ LeMahieu's main reason for being in there is defense. And if uh, if Rutledge can show defense in camp, he could actually take the job, and LeMahieu becomes um, sort of a, either uh, an insurance policy in the minor leagues or um, a backup, you know, middle infielder, second baseman type. Although Herrera can actually play short. Oh, Herrera's gone. LeMahieu. He went to Boston. He was in the oh. the Morales trade. Okay. Uh, well, you know, then there then um, between Rutledge and LeMahieu. They might, uh, you know, they might have their their middle infield and their backup middle infielder because Rutledge has played short too. So, in any case, um, I would watch uh, reports on Rutledge's defense. I think that's the only sort of playing time um, upside that there is really because otherwise they're really set at in most positions, and the only position they're not set at otherwise is um, probably center field with uh, Dickerson, Stubbs, and Blackman. And, uh, you know, I think uh, all of those guys have things in their favor. Stubbs is a good hitter against lefties. Um, Dickerson has some power and speed, and even Blackman has some power and speed. But there's something about having that grouping that makes me nervous about picking anyone, that they might just be battling at it all year, or they might just go into a straight platoon and sort of, you know, lose all their value as a group. Yeah, with, with Stubbs, I know uh, there were people out there that were thinking, oh, he's moving the cores, it's going to help him. Stubbs is really good against lefties. He is useless against right-handed batters. That's one of the things I would caution people. It, it, it'll be better if he stays in the short side of that platoon uh, in that way because you look at a lot of his strikeouts, a lot of it comes from the right-handed side. If you're looking at Stubbs, he's going to get some batting average rebound just from going to cores because what we said, you, when the outfielders have to position themselves in cores – they have to play deeper to cut off the gaps. There's, if they played standard depth, there'd be so many triples and potential inside the park home runs there. So by nature, they have to play deeper to cut off the gaps. That leads to a lot of short, poor contact bloopers over the infield or, or not well-struck line drives that go over the head of the infielders falling in for singles because you can't chase those down. If you're set up 400 feet back at center field, you can't come in. And that's a 440 center field out there. So that's one of the things that, that – is going to benefit Stubbs, but at the same time, if, if more exposure it gets against righties, it's going to negate those gains in batting average because of the strikeouts. Last point with uh, the Rockies, Rosario. Rosario's ADP is 867 right now. He is one spot behind Carlos Santana. Knowing that Santana is going to get more time at third base, uh, and it looks like Rosario is going to get more time behind the plate, if you were sitting there with the 66 pick, would you take one of these guys over the other, or would you pass and say, I, look, I still can't take a catcher in the top 70 picks? Uh, it sounds like your son says no, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, he, he's just turning two, so he's saying no a lot. Um, I, uh, I, think, uh, I think I just love too many sleepers at catcher that I'm, I'm not really going to spend on it. I, you know. I love Wilson Ramos. I love Jan Gomes. Uh, I love those guys in that sort of 11 to 16 range, and uh, I don't see I don't see myself uh, <clears throat> spending on on either of those guys. That's kind of where I'm. I li- I like Rosario. I'm a big believer in that power. I saw that power. This is one of the reasons I love going to the Arizona Fall League. 
I saw that kid up front before he hit the major leagues, and he was hitting moonshots in the AFL. Went to one particular game in uh, Phoenix Municipal Stadium, which is where Oakland was uh, training, and he hit some that I thought were going on the road behind the stadium, which is well behind the wall. And I just hit two absolute moonshots. Fell in love with him right there. I remember coming back to him. I ended up getting him in my local league in the reserve rounds, dirt cheap, because nobody had really seen him, and I was able to grab him. So big fan of his. Let's go over to the Royals, and with the Royals, it's a little bit of a different story. We're going to start on the offensive end, and a guy that I'm excited about is Norichika Aoki, and I liked him last year. Paul Spohr and I were driving that drum, banging on that drum and driving that train last year with him. I like this because he's going under Ned Yost, who loves to run. The Royals really pushed the envelope on stealing bases. I really enjoyed the piece. There was a piece by Jesse Spector this week. It talked about the stolen base in baseball, and he singled out what the Royals did. Really like that piece. Go find it if you want to read more about it. But I'm excited about what Yoki can do. He can get on base. If he gets on base, Yost is going to let him run. I think there's 30, 30 to 35 stolen base potential here. Yeah, I mean, they they really they led the league um, last year in stolen bases by far. And uh, I had to calculate their success rate just to see you know, if it was running without, a, without abandon or, or, you know, if, um, if they, if they did it smart and they actually had an 83% success yep. rate. So, uh, that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause, uh, because, uh, I, I, okay. got caught 12 times in 32 last year. If he gets caught a little bit often early on, um, I don't know if they necessarily just, you know, say everyone go, but, um, uh, I did bump his projections up uh, past even the fans. So right now, uh, in my personal projections, I have him for 25. Um, and that's even though I just said to stay within the ra- range of predictions, uh, you know, the team's stolen base success rate and, to, and, and stolen base rate is probably not in any of the projections. Um, so, you know, I'm going to allow myself to, to go one or two past the fans. And, um, you know, it's a really nice package, actually. He's probably healthy, probably going to be near the top of the, the lineup, might score 85, 86 runs at least. Um, you know, 20 with the, with a 296, 86 runs, six home runs, and 25 stolen bases, I have him worth $14. So, uh, and that's in a mixed league with five outfielders. That's, that's a really nice, uh, outfielder, and it's probably not going to cost you $14, especially after last year. So, uh, I think, and on base percentage leagues, he's, uh, he's just about the same, I'd, I'd say, maybe a little bit more. One of the things that encourages me when I look at, when I look at him, you mentioned the caught stealing, and that's definitely, definitely a factor. But consider the division he's going from to where he's going to. He's leaving the division that has Yadier Molina. He's leaving the one that has Russell Martin. He's leaving the one that has Wellington Castillo, You know, guys that are good at throwing people out. He's coming to a division that has Alex Avila. He's coming to a division that has rookie Yosemio know, Pinto and Kurt Suzuki in Minnesota. Josh Felge and the White Sox, you know, not strong throwing catchers. I think it's a better situation for him. You know, Maurer not catching anymore is going to be a benefit for him. The best catcher in his division is his own teammate, Sal Perez. So that's why I'm kind of optimistic. And if they take, if they're going to take Santana out from behind the plate and give Gomes more playing time over, I just think really 30 steals is where I have him projected. 35 is a max thing for him. But I think a lot of people were saying, oh, we looked slower last year. He got caught stealing. I think the change in situation, both managerially and physically, is going to be a nice benefit for him. Yeah, I I, I would go all the way with you, except uh, I feel I would go all the way with Woo-hoo! you. Woohoo! Don't tell your wife. <laughs> uh, I'm just, you know, he's also uh, old. Yes. So. Yeah, it's kind of like, a, I mean, that happens when, when the Japanese players comes over. There's a short burn rate for these guys. I mean, uh, yeah. Iwamura was fantastic for the raising 08 until the, he got taken out in the slide by Chris Coughlin. 09 was really never the same, but it was one or 07. Iwamura was good. 08 a little bit, a little bit less by 09, and and by 2010 he was done. He just didn't have the swing anymore. So sometimes these things happen. With Aoki going to lead off, though, we know what the front of this lineup is going to look like. Denios has already said Aoki, Omar Infante, who I really like, Eric Hosmer. Billy Butler, and now Alex Gordon goes from hitting leadoff to hitting fifth. Alex Gordon has stolen 44 bases over the last five seasons and has had double-digit steals in each of the past three, including uh, 11 of 14 last year. 
you would have to assume that this is going to hurt his stolen base number because he's going to be on base and coming up to the plate behind Billy Butler, who more often than not is on first base or second base. Yeah, I wish I could talk to Gordon right now because I talked to him. There's actually another thing that worries me just beyond the shift of his value from runs and stolen bases to RBIs and, and, and power um, is that late in the season last year, uh, he kind of switched back to hitting more fly balls. And I, I had an interview with him where I talked to him about um, the ideal ground ball fly ball mix. And he said, yeah, you know, I got to Kaufman, you know, I couldn't hit it out of Kaufman. And so basically I decided that I needed to hit more ground balls to get on base and to have a better batting average. Um, and, and to you know, have a higher batting average on balls in play, basically. The, so he did a lot of this on purpose, um, and it really helped him find a line drive stroke um, and, and uh, you know, in, and settle in around 20 homers. But then, you know, late last year, for whatever reason, I think, you know, they had a bunch of different hitting coaches. Maybe one of them said, you can be a power hitter, just hit, for more, hit more fly balls. And he, he had a, he, that's when his, like, batting on the balls of play tanked, yeah. and, and the second half was not as good as his first. I'm afraid that if they put him in the fifth spot and they ask him to be more of a run producer and, and think he's more of a power hitter, um, that we get the 260 batting average version of uh, Alex Gordon, you know, and then we get, you know, seven stolen bases uh, and we don't necessarily get a boost in, in home run power because Kaufman's so uh, big. Uh, that basically he gets reduced everywhere for no good reason. Yeah, when you look at the, the his splits last year, he hit 283 in the first half with a 772 OPS, uh, swung 43% of the time. Second, and he had a 44% ground ball rate to a 36% fly ball rate. Second half, hit 244 with a 718 OPS, swung 5% more frequently. His ground ball and fly ball percentages flipped. 36.5 on the ground, 45.6 in the air. Um yeah, I mean, the line drive approach is the best way to play that park because Kaufman is just conducive to extra base hits, not terribly conducive to home runs. Uh, so the change of approach definitely would be a factor. But when you look at him, if he's going to be asked to be more of a run producer down there, I mean, I get hitting Infante second, but, man, it would it would almost be pretty intriguing to, see, to have that top of the lineup back-to-back lefties like that to be able to go Aoki Gordon. Uh, but that looks like what his five is going to be when he's when he's got Aoki Infante Hosmer Butler Gordon that gives him left right left right left so it stacks up the way a lot of uh, traditional managers will take it and there we are speaking of Hosmer Hosmer made his own little adjustments in the second half once George Brett showed up and said uh, no kid this is what you need to do and eventually they got some nice work out of him and Hosmer closed out the season like the Hosmer a lot of people thought they were drafting Hosmer hit, finished this. In the second half of the season, hit 323 with eight home runs, drove in 39, had an 852 OPS. That was right what people thought when they were drafting. Not the first half guy that hit 285, but slugged 427 and had nine home runs and 40 runs driven in. So we had the better batting average. We had about the same pop. So it really came down to a matter of the batting average. Do you think we see the complete package with Hosmer this year, along with those nice steals that he gives us from first base? Um, let's see, I'm, I'm, I'm saying no, uh, but I still think he's a very valuable first baseman. Uh, I just think he hits the ball on the ground too much. And, uh, he's basically a a ball and play kind of guy where he'll, he'll, he'll have streaks that, that have something to do with, you know, maybe, uh, an angle, a percentage angle or two in terms of uh, his vertical angle. So, you know, the line between a line drive and a, and a ground ball is, is a big deal. But, um, you know, I think it comes in, in fractions. And so I think what he, he's doing little adjustments here or there. And then he finds a good spot. He goes on a tear, brings the batting average up. So basically what I'm saying is uh, I like him for like a 289 batting average that's in line with what he's done in the past. I like him for 20 homers. He's done that in the past. I'm going to reduce the stone bases because, um, you know, stone bases don't age that well. And uh, they're going to want him to be a run producer more than necessarily a stolen base guy. He also told me that stolen bases aren't a part of his game that he studies, that he thinks about, and that he's just the kind of guy who takes uh, the, the extra takes the extra bag when it's given to him. So I've got a projection of 289, 20 homers, nine stolen bases, nothing uh, big, no big uh, movement forward, a little bit of regression on stolen bases. That's still a $24 uh, hitter to me. Yeah, especially and with position in play, too. 
Yeah, and it's just behind Adrian Gonzalez. Um, that's fine with me. That's that's useful. There's going to be, and, and I think what's nice about Eric Hosmer is that he's very divisive. Um, so you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have somebody in your draft that hates him, and if it's a bunch of somebody's in your draft that hate Eric Hosmer because they owned him in 2012 or whatever reason, um, or they doesn't hit enough homers or whatever, uh, then take him. If you have somebody who loves him to death because they have him in the second half and they think he's going to hit 320 this year with 25 homers and 15 stolen bases, that seems uh, unreasonable to me. Publicly, they love him. His ADP is 50 right now. He's the ninth third, uh, the ninth first baseman off the board. He's ahead, five picks ahead of Alan Craig, seven picks ahead of Adrian Gonzalez, and 13 picks ahead of Joe Maurer. Eight, eight picks behind Albert Pujols. So there's a lot of public love for this guy right now. He's gone as high as 33 in some drafts, as low as 76 with that. Let's jump across the diamond and look at the guy that a lot of these, a lot of people thought these two would come up well together. Hasn't happened, and that's Mike Moustakis. Mike Moustakis has had his issues at third base. They made a, a, a trade, trading David Lowe to get Danny Valencia, who was an ideal platoon partner for him. Uh, who's a step down defensively at third base, but Danny Valencia hits lefties extremely well, something Mustakas has not done. How do you see this situation playing out? Uh, I think it might be a straight platoon. Um, you know, I just called up uh, Mike Mustakas's, uh platoon split, um, and, you know, now we're uh, 400 plate appearances into his work against lefties. Normally, you want about a thousand to say, you know, without a doubt, he has a problem. But 400 plate appearances in, you're starting to get an inkling. Uh, what he does against lefties is strikes out a league average, doesn't walk, and has a 110 isolated slugging percentage. So um, he's a 606 OPS against lefties, 400 plate appearances. That's almost a full season. Um, or, I mean, it's two thirds of a season. I, it's just terrible. And I think. You know, any sign that it's not improving, uh, they've got a guy who mashes lefties in Danny Valencia, and they're, they're, they want to be competitive. This is a team that wants to win. This is their window. Uh, I mean, James Shields walks after this year if they don't extend him. And, and, and this, this is a big year. People, people get fired, I think. I mean, it's almost like the Jack Z thing. It's like they're, they're getting to the end of their rope. I mean, he, he maybe bought himself maybe one more year with last year, but I don't, I don't even think so. They didn't make it to the playoffs, so... You know, they need to do something this year or a lot of people go away. So I think that means Mike Moustakis can't – it won't see a lot of lefties. I agree with you. I mean, we I watched Valencia a lot here in the American League East uh, and just really gave lefties a hard time, especially David Price uh, of all people. It just really has his number in a career uh, so far. Something like 9 for 13 with uh, six extra base hits. It's ridiculous what he's been able to do against them. Uh, so I, I'd like the deal for that regard, and it gives them some, just another option there. But with Moustakas, a lot of people are saying, well, maybe rebound candidate. But again, he's not doing anything against the left. He's not doing much against righties. Uh, really tough to look at him as a, as a viable fantasy option. Even in a mixed league, the name value may go, but just let him run. Uh, Pitching-wise, there's really not much to talk about in this pitching staff. James Shields is obviously a stud in fantasy purposes, helps in ratios, gets you the strikeouts, um, will, I think, historically get screwed in wins just because things you know, he seems to pitch against. He'll pitch a 2-1 to one game and lose 2-1 to one or 1-0, nothing, stuff like that. Is there another pitcher on this staff that you would take in, in a mixed league format? Guthrie, Vargas, Chen, your Donald Ventura. I mean, that's kind of where things are shaking out right now. Uh, I might do like the, the take Ventura with my last pick kind of thing. Um, I mean, at least he has a lot of velocity and uh, that's really, that's kind of exciting. Um, but I, I haven't seen a breaking pitch from him that I think, you know, rates as plus plus, you know, and, or even plus. Uh, so I think he's a big question mark and it's really just a, a shot in the dark uh, taking him. I like Danny Duffy, but that's that's another deep league deep league guy. Uh, just because you know we don't you know they're not going to give those guys a lot of chances if if their their flaws creep up. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, those are the only two guys. I mean, those are the only two guys I'm even interested in mixed league because they have mixed league upside. I I think the other guys have proven that they're. Not mixed leaguers. Yeah, I, I um, see. I've seen Ventura go in a couple of mock drafts that I've done. I've seen him go at the end. I believe he went in the end of the active round for mixed labor. I like Danny Duffy as well. I'm, I'm a fan of, of that arm. It just I mean, we know what Greg Holland's going to do, and there's no reason to draft any kind of handcuff there. But when you look at, I'm kind of more excited about some of the bullpen guys than I am anything else. 
I hope if Wade Davis stays in the bullpen this year. If you go back and look at 2012 when Wade Davis was in the Rays bullpen, he was flat out dominant. Luke Kochevar was flat out dominant last year out of the bullpen. We know what Tim Collins could do. Aaron Crow looked good in the bullpen. Kelvin Herrera. I really like this bullpen, the way the situation. I like it a bunch more than I like their rotation. That's why I kind of think if maybe they go back and get Urban Santana and bring him back to the mix if, if Santana can't find a home here. Because he would make this team, as you said earlier, they want to contend. They want to compete. This starting rotation is not getting that done. Yeah, and that's why I also think Davis or Chen um, or both are going to end up in the bullpen because um, – or I guess Davis more than Chen because Chen has had a, a strange run of success. Um, but I think Davis will end up in the bullpen because they'll need – as the team is done now, they'll need that upside of Ventura or Duffy in that final spot because they don't really have a, a number two pitcher. Um, and those guys have the upside of being number and two. Davis pitchers. just so can't I, play out. I mean, the stuff doesn't play there. It, he cannot get lefties out on a good basis, has no off-speed pitch, has tried to cut her as his third pitch. It doesn't work. His stuff just plays up so much better out of the bullpen. I thought it was a, a gigantic disservice to put him in the, in the rotation, and I, I remember hearing over the offseason that Ned Yost was talking about putting Hochevar back in the, in the rotation, and that's the same thing. The stuff played up so much better in the bullpen Velocity gain, you know, he was able to, to come in there and just gas people out and then throw his breaking, his off-speed stuff, his breaking stuff, and just get better results out of it. And I just – I'm a big fan of setting people up for success, and you can't – it's a lot easier to make that transition from the rotation to the bullpen than to go back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at Aaron Crow. I mean, he's not going back. So uh, it's just going to be a, a lights-out bullpen, uh, one of the best in the in the league. Um and I think Kelvin Herrera is actually uh, a good bet for um, for getting better this year. He was a lot better when he came back. Uh, I think he could be the setup guy, actually. Um, and uh, if you're looking for holds uh, and strikeouts, he's my guy this year. And he has a wicked changeup. And when he corrals the fastball, it's 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 pretty hard to to, uh, to deal with him. Yeah, changeup's fun. All right, that wraps up this week's show. Next, uh, we only have two more team preview shows, and they're all American League teams. The Tigers and the Twins will be on Thursday, and then the White Sox and Yankees will wrap us up next week. Any final thoughts for everybody? No, uh, wish me luck uh, in uh, Arizona this week. This week. I- I'm going to need it. I'm going to need it. <laughs> all right, we'll be watching that, looking for it online, and listening to the broadcast on SiriusXM. Again, if you have any questions related to the Tigers and Twins, please make sure you post them in the comments. If you have not yet rated us on iTunes, please go do so. And thanks again to those who have already taken the time to do so. Until uh, next episode, see ya!